Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. Social work is an immensely diverse and important field. For Christians in social work, the diversity of types of social work and the diversity of resources available because of that variety provides for the church some of its most effective and powerful ministries. For us to get an insight into the scope of these areas of ministries, this will be a two-part, two-episode interview. The first part and episode focuses on those Christians who have done their social work ministry primarily, although not exclusively, in the field. They represent the practitioners. The second part focuses on those Christians who, while also being active in field work, have devoted their ministry primarily to teaching, education, and scholarship. It's a loose division with much overlap. In this episode, with the focus on practitioners, my guests are Dr. Rick Hamyak Case, Lauren Lowe Relaford, and Dr. Lloyd Gestoso. After having been the executive director for 24 years, For the North American Association of Christians and Social Work, Rick is now self-employed, providing faith-based nonprofit consulting services. With over 10 years' experience in research, policy, advocacy, and government relations, Lowe is currently political director for Sojourners. And before teaching social work for 23 years, Lloyd served in hospitals and in social services related to AIDS, housing, and hospice. Lloyd is the current executive director of the North American Association for Christians and Social Work. So welcome, Rick, Lowe, and Lloyd. Thank you so much for being with me. Let's begin uh, by letting each of you tell your own spiritual journey uh, and how it is that you have come to be doing what you're doing. Uh, as a Christian in social work. So who wants to start? Um, I'll take a crack at it. Um, I um, I think I've always been spiritual. It just never was in the forefront of my mind until I um, got really sick and was dealing with my own mental health issues. And um I think I I realized how much I had really leaned into God and really had this notion or this understanding of a God who was very um, loving and who was not the source of my pain. And I say that to say, because I suffered from um, suicidality from a very young age since I was um, in seventh grade. So I was about 12 and, um, I had made multiple attempts and that is such a dark sadness. And there's just a lot of lies that you live in, in your head, a lot of thinking that you don't matter, thinking that you were created to suffer, thinking that, you know, you don't belong in the world and that no one will love you. Um, But my mom being, you know, a good Catholic made sure that we always went to Sunday school and, you know, in the back of my head, I had this just notion of a very loving and protecting God. And so I would remember after attempts, I would, you know, wake up and just, just the crushing disappointment of waking up um, after that. But then too, just realizing that the pain was going to continue. 
and I just, the question that I would always ask God was, you know, God, it's, 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 there's something, it has to be better than this life. Like there has to be more to life than this. And, um, I feel like I'm very lucky now at my big age, I can say, um, that God has revealed that to me and said, not only was there something better than the suffering that you endured for 20 years, but everything that you thought was possible, I'm going to make it greater. And so I feel like now um, part of why I do the work that I do is feeling like I got really lucky because there's a lot of people who suffer from mental and behavioral health issues that aren't sitting in a comfortable home and aren't looking forward to getting in the bed after this, you know, and going to sleep. And actually along my journey, when I was at my lowest, I came across a social worker and she was just, I mean, I say just a student, but she was a student doing her MSW and um, she happened to be, her field placement was at the place I was receiving treatment. And um, I did not realize that social workers, I mean, to be very honest, did more than just take kids away. And I was like, oh, you guys do mental health help. And I really saw how her perspective was very different from even some of the psychologists and psychiatrists that I had worked before and the way in which she just really met me where I was. And not only did she meet me where I was, but like just that brief 10 minutes that we talked, like she literally lifted my spirit and that was a major, I'm going to use some social worky words, turning point. It was a major life event where I realized that, wait a minute, I can get better. And not only that, I can help others get better and help others overcome the barriers to being and living out all the promises of God as a social worker. And I was already receiving my master's in science and management at Catholic because I wanted to open up a mental health facility. And I said, you know what, I can become a social worker and help more people just outside of one facility. And um, Catholic University happened to have a program that would combine social policy with clinical. And again, it was God just showing up at my lowest and saying, like, listen, sis, I have this assignment for you and you're going to enter into this profession and come across really amazing people um, and really be able to do work and be able to activate the charisms that I've given you to help others in a way that's really going to help show folks that God is love, God is hope, and God has good plans. And so that's kind of how my spiritual journey and my professional um, life have intertwined. And now I get to do just that as political director at a faith-based advocacy organization. I don't get just to help people individually. Hopefully I help create the systems needed to support those folks on the ground who are doing the work and support the people that they help. Um, and so that has just really been a blessing. Um, and I feel like I owe it to God to return the favor by helping others trapped in that darkness. And social work has been the medium with which I've done it. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Especially <laughs> thank you for your willingness to be so open. Yeah. About your life. I appreciate that. Yeah. Who wants to go next? Yeah, the part of my spiritual journey where um, my faith and social work intersected probably started when I began a program at Yale Divinity School. I wasn't in the ordination track, uh, but I had some clear clues that learning more about uh, the God that I loved and I wanted to serve uh, involved doing some um, some work and 
uh, Yale Divinity School was nearby where I was living. And so I, I jumped into the program and really enjoyed it. But it also occurred to me that um, I also need to think concretely about what was I going to do with what I was learning and with my life moving forward. And at that time, I was a live-in house parent for a group home with 16 um, individuals with many, many life challenges. And um, it was one of those arrangements where I would show up on Friday afternoon, would be handed a set of keys, and on Monday morning, someone would come in and uh, take those keys back and take over. So it was definitely a, a sink or swim kind of arrangement, um, but it was so amazingly compelling being able to connect with individuals uh, with their struggles, to learn from them, to play some small role in helping. Um, it just seemed like this perfect way to live out the faith that meant so much to me in tangible ways that were contributing to, to God's kingdom being built here on earth. Um, so I began sort of going along both tracks, the continuing my studies at Yale Divinity School and really getting into this work. And I think what struck me next was how uh, how much resonance there was between the most important parts of my faith and the most important part of my work. Uh, they both reinforced each other so well, the social and uh, uh, social justice and loving my neighbors myself that my faith called me to do could be done so well in the work in which I was engaged. Um, and the uh, emphases of social work and its values um, helped me sort of figure out the pieces of my faith that needed to be strongest and have my, uh, my, my biggest investment. And so I found that in doing both, um, the reinforcement uh, just made it so compelling to look for a career where I could bring the two together in coherent ways. And so the, the, that part of my spiritual journey really angered that I could never pursue just the spirituality or faith or just the social work, but the two together just were something very special, um, a, a perceived answer to a call to what is my life about and a commitment to serve the best I could in both those capacities, where in the end, it wasn't really two capacities, it was one. They came together in such a strong way. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, that, that's that's helpful. Lloyd? Yeah, for, for me, it's uh, my, my spiritual journey really starts a generation or so back. It brings me back to my maternal grandmother who was illiterate uh, in the Philippines and she worked as a laundry woman for missionaries uh, squatting by a stream banging their dirty clothes with rocks and through that service um, of missionaries uh, my family was introduced to Jesus uh, years later my parents a doctor and a nurse immigrated to the United States to serve in a historic black hospital in Philadelphia where they were introduced to their first African-Americans coming from Asia. And they were trying to have children for quite a while. And um, somehow, by the grace of God, I was born in the late 60s. And uh, it, was, it was a challenging birth process for sure. And my life has been um, marked by, in many ways, divine interventions mm. by God's grace. Uh, moving on from, from that time of my birth, 
um, I really struggled. I struggled socially. I struggled academically. I still remember my kindergarten teacher telling my mother, a recent immigrant, that I would never make it out of high school because I just wasn't socially uh, adjusted like the other kids, not realizing the context of being born in a hospital and having parents who were germaphobes with their little baby. Um, I just acted differently than other kids, but she never took the time to understand who I was and mm. my context. Um, but what was true from those early days is I just, I just loved to serve people. I just loved to care for people. It was the constant theme of my life. And as I continued to grow in my faith in Christ and move forward through life, I discovered what I had been doing my whole life had a name. It was called social work. And so when I started in social work, academics continued to be a challenge. But by God's grace, he allowed me to find some leadership skills in college and and really take hold of this profession, learning to love others with grace and mercy, uh, always being humble, really seeking the best for others and seeking justice. It was just always part of my life, uh, just living out who God made me to be. Um, earning my master's at University of Pennsylvania, which was a complete shock that I'd even attend that school. Um, I, I just kind of committed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to serve whoever you want me to serve. I want to serve the, the, the neediest population possible. And next thing I know, I'm working with veterans uh, from the Vietnam era who confessed to me that when they look at me, they have an impulse to hurt me because of their, their training from the war. And as a Filipino, I was just, you know, struck by that. But I just learned to care and understand their struggle and began to understand um, opioid addiction and injection drug use. And through that journey, I uh, started working directly with people living with HIV AIDS and just seeing God in the midst of just sad, ongoing suffering and death. There just wasn't a lot of cures at that time, a lot of medicines. And um, it just refined me sitting at the bedside of so many hurting people, so many hurting families, misunderstood by the politics around us, with conservatives condemning us, and with liberals questioning why I would even be there. So my faith has just been refined by just saying, Lord, thank you for your grace in sustaining me. And so I eventually became a faculty member at a small biblical university and and really uh, just tried to teach others uh, the importance of grace, the importance of humility, the importance of the commitment and the sacrifice needed in our callings to serve God. And um, I'm just so uh, blessed by God to just sustain me in this mission, in this ministry of serving others with my life. And I'm so excited that now I get to lead other Christians in social work and uh, get to inspire people to really examine their goals and realize that this life is about loving and serving others and allowing God to flow through us in order to give people that love and mercy they're so desperately in need of. Mm -hmm.
each of your stories is amazing. Thank you for sharing them. Uh, thank you for answering God's call and letting God work in, with, and through you uh, in what you're doing. So um, what do you think is the intersection of social work and Christianity, and especially as that bears on public policy? I'm going to jump right into that one. <laughs> but mainly just because my title has politics in it. Um, I mean, I there's a very, to me, there's a very... So first, I feel like my philosophy has always been policy should be of, for, and by the people. And the way that I envision that, at least within a social work context in the policy world is that as a macro practitioner, it is my job to look at practitioners at the meso and micro levels to understand what's going on. Like what is the sauce of life? What are the ingredients that are missing? What are the systems that are malfunctioned? Where is the funding not going? Where is the funding going that it needs to be redirected? And that directs me. And so it's very much like a bottom up, middle out approach. Um, I think social work has a very, unique and important role to play in the political field in part because I'm I listen to policies and I listen to narrative and the whole part about policy making starts with agenda setting and you set the agenda by understanding what the problem is how it's defined how it's playing out who's impacted um and for me Social work gets a lot of that because that's what it is, is we're understanding problems, understanding the complexity of it, understanding all of the factors that go into life and making it so that folks can thrive. And that's not an approach that you see a lot in policy and policymaking, in part because the people um, are one who are making the laws are so far removed from the realities of everybody's lives. And not only that, they aren't... Um, reflective like they there's no way for a lot of these members to understand the lived experiences of a lot of folks and they don't really fully understand how policies impact folks on a day-to-day -day level and I know I'm going to sound crazy because I'm going to be like policy is everywhere but it really is policy is even in you know how this laptop was made it's it's the, there's policies about and you know rules and regulations about even like how the data from this call can be shared and so I think what social work does is inject um a level of ethics, morals, and values that otherwise would not be present in the policymaking system because it really sees folks as sort of numbers and figures and um, pieces in this like larger capitalist game. And where social work comes in, it's like, okay, you know, these are human beings and these are their unique needs. And these are some of the challenges that they're having make them. And so I think for me, what I really hope is to better create a pipeline of all of the social work practitioners. So that way, again, as we're developing policies, we can really influence that because there's so much research that happens, especially academically within the social work world about what is going on and how cultural shifts that doesn't get translated up to the top. And that voice is sorely missing. For example, right now we're working on um, the child tax credit. and 
for me, it's simple. Like, of course, you would want to expand the child tax credit because getting money to families to take care of their kids makes sense. And there's a lot of pushback on that. And I think about how I'm really digging into social work morals and values to make the case of it. And so when we talk about childhood poverty, talking about the inherent dignity and worth of the individual child, and then talking about when we talk about systems, I'm looking at you know, the inherent dignity and worth of relationships. So how are we ensuring that we have functional systems to help create functional people? And again, being able to have sort of this broader narrative of what life is and sort of what the sauce of life is has really benefited me because um, it's surprising how um, how far removed from humanity the process can be. Um, and so at least from a social work perspective, you're coming in with sort of this code of ethics about how you deal with people. And you also have this whole sort of uh, base of practice and research that is, again, sorely missing in the process. And my hope is that we do have more practitioners who are get, macro practitioners who are leaning on our, you know, micro and meso level folks to get that data and to get that qualitative, quantitative narrative data that we need. So that way, when I go into these meetings, I can say, you know, that's great. Um, you know, I'm really glad that you're saying this, Congressman. But, you know, I spoke with a social worker in Connecticut, or I spoke with a social worker in Illinois, or I spoke with a social worker in Virginia. And let me tell you what's actually going on in the ground. And so that closeness, closeness and that connection to humanity, and quite frankly, oftentimes humanity, when they're at their lowest and most vulnerable, if we don't yeah, it that is important and that narrative is missing. And um, that's just kind of how I lean into my social work background. But it's also just helpful from a clinical perspective, right? I think um, getting into meetings and being able to talk about like the neurobiological impact of attachment issues and trauma and being able to go in there and say, this is how it, you know, this is the family system and these are social work, social determinants of health. And again, these are terms and things that we are very familiar with, but the broader pop policymaking, you know, body politic has no idea. And they're not talking about vagal, like vagal nerve systems. And they're not talking about, you know, attachment. And they're not talking about, you know, what happens when you have disorganized attachment. And they're not necessarily understanding PTSD. And so I think we have um, a big role to play in helping really color in or create a fuller picture of humanity and the things that are needed to thrive while also injecting a lot of ethics and morals and values, which I don't know if any members of Congress will want to meet with me after I say this, but it's sorely missing on the Hill. Um, and I think that our policies, our current policies, a lot of the policies, um, especially in economic justice and immigration really reflect that. Um, so that's just kind of how I, how I've, married the two. Well, though I, I have to say we don't have nearly enough social workers who get as excited and passionate about policy as you do. <laughs> For those of us who've taught in a social work classroom, getting newer students excited about policy is a huge challenge. We all ought to bring you into our classes and give a pep talk about why policy matters. Um, Listen, let me add them. Everyone will be in a C-SPAN t-shirt by the time the class is over. <laughs> I feel I yeah, and I do have these band T-shirts, so that's well. I'm energized by hearing you talk, and and I like to think of myself as pretty excited about policy. But uh, you've got me to the next level. Um, policy is incredibly complicated and incredibly important, 
Um, but two of the things that have been helpful to me um, from my faith, but also from my social work, is to take a look at policy issues, uh, initiatives, positions, through the lens of some scriptural passages. The, the one that um, is most effective for me is Matthew 25, the you know, famous passage that talks about uh, the importance of focusing on the least of these and the way that we interact and relate to those um, who are the least of these are, are in essence uh, reflective of the way that we relate to and interact um, with Jesus, um, Jesus himself. Um, but to take a look at the different policy possibilities, the different in initiatives out there, and to keep asking that question, what's the impact of that on those who are struggling and who are most marginalized in our communities? Um, Catholic social teaching does a wonderful job of this, where it talks about um, the bias uh, toward the poor, um, but always reflecting that there's many things that we have to consider. But if that's not close to the top, um, then we're really missing the important part of what policies are supposed to do for our community and for our society. So for me, that's a really key piece of, um, of my social work background and my faith is policy has to be informed by that perspective. And it helps me, um, again, that's not all that you have to look at. There's much more, but I feel on safer ground when I know that a policy is going to make that positive impact on those who struggle the most and who are the most marginalized. Then I know that there's something really important there to work with. And that's, again, a tool that's been very helpful for me as I've dealt with policy through the years. Wow, Rick, that's that's a really great perspective. Um, for me, this Christianity, faith, public policy intersection really begins with life and death. It, it begins with babies and the elderly. It, it's really about being sound in our anthropology, in our theology and philosophy. What I've found is if you are not sound and balanced and healthy in those philosophical, anthropological, theological assumptions, you create destructive mm -hmm. policy. You create environments that are harmful to people. If you don't have a healthy view of self, a healthy view of children, a healthy view of older adults, it then presents a negative dynamic into the things you create. And so when I talk with social work students, I'll often tell them, you don't want to just jump right into policy until you are sound in your theoretical and theological understanding of people and God in a healthy, grace-giving view. If you have destructive assumptions about people, those destructive assumptions become destructive in your policy, in your life choices. And so often we want to jump right into the the policy that influences thousands and millions when our foundation is based on the wrong assumptions i i, I think we're 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 resistant to admit how vulnerable we are in this life when jesus talks about being born again to one of the smartest teachers in in uh, in israel nicodemus was like you want me to crawl back into my mom? <laughs> and in a lot of ways, Jesus kind of did. 
I believe Jesus wants our faith and our Christianity to be childlike. Mm. He wants us to be dependent on him. God designed us to be vulnerable and dependent. And yet we spend so much of our adulthood acting like we don't need God and we don't need people. When in reality, that vulnerability is so essential to understanding how policy should be written. Because if you could acknowledge the vulnerability in yourself, you can then acknowledge the vulnerability in others, and you'll be more likely to be grace-giving in how you live your life, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And as, I, as we could see from our public discourse of today, we assume the worst in everybody. And so I think we have to rethink our theology and anthropology. We have to rethink what we believe about humanity and start cutting each other a break and acknowledging that our worst enemy is actually profoundly vulnerable. And we need to treat them with that kind of sensitivity as we work with them, as we negotiate with them, as we help them, and as we create policies together so that we could see the intersection between us and our dependence mm -hmm. on God. Mm. Preach, Brother <laughs> Lloyd. <laughs> I, I, is it okay? You, you said something that reminded me of two verses that I think really, when it comes to policy, you know, Matthew 25 is big. But I think there's two verses that I really leaned on when I talked to members of Congress and their staff about why we do this and what is the intersection and why, like, I mean, because policy is just one of the areas that God has used me. There's tons of ways for it to be helpful. And so I really think about, um, in particular, like James, um, James 2, uh, 17, where it's like faith without works is dead, right? And so one thing that I was really hearing um, from both of you guys, like there's this call to action, right? We all say thoughts and prayers and that's very cute, but like, it's very clear in the Bible that God is like, no, 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 no. Make it something that happens. And I may be like, not the sharpest knife in the drawer because I didn't realize that like when it's the book of James, like I was like, oh, like James is in Jesus's half brother. And so as I read it, it took on a whole new invective because it's like, this is what Jesus is telling us. He's like, get up shake off your mat and move. And he says that to people all throughout the Bible. And so one that really, I think what you both said just really made me think like you guys really live out that. Um, and I think in policy, that's another thing is because again, folks just get so used to being concerned and it's like, okay, you offer your thoughts and prayers and you don't do anything. And that gets to another one, um, Proverbs 3.27 where it's do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to act. And so I feel like, Lloyd, exactly what you were saying, like you have the power to act, but how are you going to govern your behavior accordingly based on these principles of understanding self, based on this just love of service to others and this understanding of who God really is and this notion that God can be found everywhere, even in the darkest corners. And so don't be bold in your faith to know that if God sends you to a dark corner or a place where the darkness really has hold, he's sending you there because you are the right one. 
and he know he's made you for this assignment. And so just be very bold with what you're doing, but also be very gentle and be very loving and just really make sure that again, I really loved what you said, Lloyd, like just go to these people in gentleness, come to people as if they're this image of God. And if, and one of the things that really messed with my head, which is probably a good thing in Bible study was they told me when we were younger, Jesus will sometimes, or God will come to earth disguised. And so you never know if the person you come across is actually Jesus or God or an angel in disguise. And so how would you treat that person? And how would you feel if you treated someone horribly? And then all of a sudden Jesus popped out and was like, so before we get to the pearly gates, we need to have a conversation. Um, And so I just, I really appreciate what you both said because I feel a little, um, I don't know if it's validated as the word, but I feel educated. I feel like you guys have given me a new perspective or at least bolstered my perspective about policy and how to approach it. And I hope that you guys know I'll be poaching some of what you said when I do talk about policy and when I do have meetings with members, because it is really important to let them know. And sometimes people forget that you're dealing again with people at their most vulnerable. And so how policy is also just not trauma informed. So how do we create trauma informed policies? We root it in people, we root it in our faith and we treat each other as if we're God in disguise. One of the things that, um, came to my mind Lo, when you, when you talked about, uh, Jesus in disguise, um, there's a story in one of Jim Wallace's books, uh, where he's talking about, uh, a, a food shelter, uh, you know, a, a food kitchen, uh, and that, that, uh, whoever's in charge of that, uh, says the prayer before they, they open up. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially saying that, uh, Lord, we know that you're going to pass through here tonight. Mm. Help us treat you well. Mm. And uh, so, mm. yeah. <laughs> um, mm. Woven throughout what you all have said uh, touches on the, the, uh, the question of the social work code of ethics. Um, tell us about that, uh, what it is that that is, uh, that you learn and how that is integrated, uh, into what you do, uh, and, and the kind of decision-making that you do. Not fair to make Lauren lead off every time. I know I was going to play, I was just going to put the nose game, but I was like, how many of you guys know the nose game? <laughs> Not fair to make you carry too much, too much weight. Um, there are in some, in some uh, Christian social work circles, a, a sort of prevailing thought that there's something about the social work ethics that we have to be aware of, or that we need to um, see as sort of the competition with a Christian worldview. Um, and I have to say that I've always felt quite the opposite. I've always seen that the social work ethics just put some wonderful legs on some of the Christian values that I have in ways that are very meaningful and sometimes help sharpen my understanding of what I think my Christian faith calls me to. When you go to the um, NASW Code of Ethics, for example, 
they talk about a core set of values that social workers embrace. I could teach these in Sunday school at almost any church I've attended. Um, these values are service, social justice, dignity and worth of the person, importance of human relationships, integrity. My goodness, those are so many of the core Christian values that, um, that I think we're called to. And so I think that rather than seeing the social work code of ethics as something to be wary about, it's more a, a wonderful opportunity to see the way that there's overlap between many of the goals of social work and the goals of churches and church ministry and the Christian faith. Um, I wrote a couple of articles talking about how I saw this congruence really fortifying me, both as a person of faith and as a social worker. And I was surprised NASW distributed some of those articles um, when they would hear from people who, uh, again, thought there was competition between Christian faith and, and social work. And so, um, again, I, I think that we always have to be sort of thinking through what's unique and distinctive about our faith and about social work. But we also have to have that eye to see where there's overlap and where each makes the other stronger and brings fresh perspective that contributes to how we understand each of those different worlds that all are concerned for loving our neighbors who are made in God's image. Yeah, you know that NASW, the National Association of Social Workers Code of Ethics, is really a great central point for discussion within our profession. You know, a lot of us interpret the code of ethics differently from each other, but I completely agree with Rick because from a biblical worldview, the code of ethics is incredibly affirming of the faith. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're looking at it from a different view, you could see it completely differently, though. And I think that's where it's kind of a social work universal place of discussion and unity and sometimes um, learning because it, it takes a lot of uh, it, gi it gives a lot of opportunity for social workers amongst themselves to discuss their unique interpretation of how the code of ethics plays out in their unique contexts. But, you know, I really find that the code of ethics overall is, is really, really helpful because it, it elevates the value of people. And in a world where we have conscious and subconscious pecking orders for who's valuable in this world and who isn't, who's worth an investment of money and who isn't, the code of ethics is a living document that convicts us of our hypocrisy because every human being should be treated with dignity and worth. We're created in the image of God. And yet we see us in practice treating people with partiality, treating people with preference, treating people as if they don't exist. And yet all types of human beings are not going anywhere and they all deserve to be loved, cared for and respected. And I think that that main point of the code of ethics holds us all accountable for how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't know what else to say, except um, I would not be a social worker if I did not feel as if 
and fully believe as if the values and our ethics didn't align with my faith. And that is in part, I remember the first time I read the code of ethics, I was like, oh, this is very familiar in part, because again, the inherent dignity and the worth of the person and recognizing the importance of the relationship feels like those are just cornerstones of what it means to be Christian. And that's a big part of the message that Jesus brought is to love, you know, love yourself, love your neighbor as you love God um, and treat each other and guide each other accordingly. And so the way that I see social work is really just, I jokingly tell people it's a way for me to be professionally nice <laughs> because it just treats you how to, you know, how to be nice and follow the good Samaritan, be a good Samaritan without, you know, by following the Samaritan laws. And um, I also, so I don't know if this is like a Christian wide thing, but at least in Catholicism, we believe that, um, you know, you have blessings and talents that help you along the way, but then you're also given charisms. And these are gifts and talents that you get. Um, I believe you're born with them because God creates them. But some people say you get them upon, you know, baptism and confirmation. And these are gifts and talents you can only use to help other people. And God gives everyone a special little mix. So you may have one charism and another person does, but based on your situation and based on your assignment, it's going to come out differently. And when I took the charism quiz, um, did my charism inventory in 2016, so almost six years ago, uh, you know, you do your discernment and the charisms are like encouragement, help, you're, you know, learning, writing, um, knowledge, you know, all of these things. And then the quiz then gives you based on how you match up areas in which you can go to really live out those charisms or places or roles that you play in society that are going to help you maximize the charism. And in two of them, one of the roles underneath was social worker. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, and this is before I even became a social worker. And I remember seeing that, like, I will never be a social worker. And now I'm, I have a DSM five by my desk, like never say never. God is funny. Um, but I think about the fact that if there is, in, at least in Catholicism, there is this notion that you have gifts like encouragement. The gift of encouragement is when just your presence and the help that you give people and the way in which you encourage elevates other individuals. And it's it's like a mental, mind, body, spiritual, physical, social elevation. And I'm like, oh, again, that sounds like social work. And when you go under the charism of encouragement, one of the place, one of the things that they say are counselor, parent, um, social worker, mentor, teacher. And so again, I feel like I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying social work as um, a profession and the way we practice is always perfect, but again, there's clearly some alignment there and there's clearly some goodness in the way in which we ethically and morally view our work that aligns with spirituality. And so for me, you know, outside of what um, Rick and Lloyd have said, it's just a very natural connection and um I mean, at least the Catholic Church is openly saying like, hey, be a social worker if you want to live out like the way that God created you to help other people. And so I think um, the, you know, what is said in our code can be up for debate. But if the goal is to create parameters for how you best treat people and how you approach people and the goals of scripture are also to tell you that, then I feel like there's a really natural intersection and it doesn't have to be overtly Christian 
for you to see the Christian message in them. Agreed. So how do you bring uh, the two together, the Christian faith and the social work dimension? Um, like, you know, how do Christians in social work help the church, help individual Christian, and help the social work community work together, hmm. uh, meet common goals? How do you go about uniting those two to bring the two dimensions together, the two communities together? I've always been a fan of seeing a place for Christians and social work to be translators between the social work community and the social services community. We know the language of both communities. Um, we recognize the shared goals um, of both communities and we can help them talk and play nice and be more um, supportive of each other. Uh, and I think that a little bit I'm hearing that here in the podcast is we're finding some really exciting things about our faith and social work and that they're not mutually exclusive. And in fact, they might well build upon each other. And I think Christians in social work need to see as part of their role to bring um, those communities together because we can do much more together, sharing our resources, sharing our energy um, than we can separately. And so uh, church ministries do some amazing things as do some social work organizations. But when teamed up, um, there's just so much more that's going on and so much more potential. So I think part of what we need to do is, you know, when we hear people demonizing the other, you know, some of our social workers taking pot shots at faith-based communities or some of our churches taking pot mm. shots at, I think we need to, you know, be the police and say, wait a minute, <laughs> it might not agree with everything, but let's talk about, you know, the way that things can work together. Um, we need to not fight for resources. It's not a zero sum game. Um, we need to recognize that pooling of resources, and sometimes a faith-based organization can do more with resources just because of the uh, relationships they have with a particular community. So we, we need to stop competing and find ways to cooperate and partner. Um, and again, we need to be very vocal about those areas in which what we're doing overlaps and be willing to partner and strategize and work together in meeting those. So I see a huge role for Christians in social work is to bring those communities together for the good of those that we're all serving. You know, the, the book of Philippians makes it pretty clear. We're supposed to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I find whether it's in the social work community, where sometimes we get caught up in our status or get caught up in, in our own challenges and we forget to put others ahead of ourselves or if it's the church where sometimes our church agenda becomes more important than putting others ahead of ourselves i think those th those ideas are are uh often forgotten because we're human beings mm -hmm. we lose our way all the time this is why we need gps <laughs> And I think we have to constantly check ourselves for drift. We have to realign ourselves every day, moment by moment, where you catch yourself being selfish. 
or you catch yourself being narcissistic or prideful. And you have to step back and say, whoa, I'm only here by grace. Why am I acting superior? Why am I not obeying the commands of Jesus? Why is my agenda more important or my greed more important than other people? And I think social workers have to wrestle with that, and so does the church. Neither is perfect. We're far mm -hmm. from perfect. But I think if we can be humble, because if we're not, God will humble us. <laughs> and if we aren't careful, uh, we can lose our way. I think as social workers, sometimes we can get clinical superiority over people. Mm -hmm. And in reality, our frailty is just beneath our surface. The frailty is just beneath the surface. In the church, we can get haughty and prideful and superior when our dependence on God and his capacity to change our life in a matter of seconds is forgotten. And we have to mind our place and remember that we have to be bowed before God in everything that we do as people of faith, putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves. I think if we can find that holy intersection of vulnerability and, and uh, commitment to obeying the commands of God to put others ahead of ourselves, we'll be well on our way to having the synergy between social work and the church that I think God's always promised would happen, where the harvest is full and we're able to serve in the way he's commanded us to serve. Amen. Mm. I just want to say between y'all two, like you make me so proud and happy to be a member of NACSW. Um, and I just want to take a step and just recognize the beauty of your faith, the beauty of your faith journey and the beauty of your humanity. It's just, it's really, I just am kind of blown away by you two. Um, and I, I, um, yeah, right, 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 right back at you, Lord, right back at you. No, I like, I just am just in kind of awe. And it's like, these are, I think, so I'm going to do a little brown nosing, but I'll be honest, my nose is already brown for folks that can't see. So I don't need to do it. It's naturally brown. So I don't brown nose. Um, but I think it really, uh, um, I think, where we can, as, as Christian social workers, I think we sit in this unique role where it's like somehow you, you have to be one or the other. I didn't even realize there was like tension between the community. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, but I deal with members of Congress. So I've got enough drama in my life <laughs> dealing with them, trying to make them do the right thing. Um, but I feel like just thinking about what social, like I think we have the benefit of thinking about what social work values and what our faith values teach us about leadership is really important. And I think that's what both you, um, Rick and Lloyd were getting to is the being able to in that moment, kind of step up and be like, Whoa, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what we're seeing. And I think because we kind of sit, I mean, we don't sit in both spaces, like the me being a social work, not a part of me, like yeah. it's my whole being and being a Christian is my whole being. And so kind of having that perspective really allows us to almost be like a little bit of a 
Fred Hampton Rainbow Coalition, where it's like, we can see both, right? We can see where you're coming from as a social worker. We can see what you mean as a person of faith. But guess what? I am both and I'm here to kind of tell you and break through that argument. And I also feel like that's pure social work, right? Coming in to mediate, um, coming in to find general consensus. Um, But I also recognize that, again, I say that and you have to humble yourself in that moment. And so I think the best thing that we can do is just in those conversations model what that intersection means so that folks then realize like in your communities, in your churches, like, oh, wait a minute, there really isn't a daylight between the profession and the faith. And then I think also, you know, social workers who social workers who are Christian, as you engage with your community, you know, how do you share those social work values and how are you talking about your profession or the work that you do in a way in which you are making those natural connections for folks to get them to understand that you are coming from a place. And again, it does make sense for me to do this work because it is aligned. Um, yeah, I don't really like, I don't have anything else really profound to say because what has already been said, I think is absolutely perfect. But I will say that to the extent that I can at least help facilitate some of those conversations, please let me know. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I again, people say don't make your job a personality, but I kind of feel like at least some of the, some of what social work is rooted in is like your values. Like that's who you are. Um, And so again, to the best, you know, to the best that you can just model those behaviors and show people that there isn't any daylight and be a leader and lean in and say, okay, let's all just come to the table and remind ourselves of like, what is, where is our common ground? Stop othering each other. You know, we have the same goals. Now how do we achieve them and how do we look, at the unique gifts and talents and the resources that we have to pull them together because we often are in this crabs in a bucket mentality and that's imposed on us. And it's like, no, 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 no. Again, we don't have to fight each other. If we come together, we can achieve a lot more. And so the extent that we can play sort of that peacemaker mediator role, um, I think will be really important in our faith. Um, And at least through Sojo, I'm really excited that I get to do some of that because we do do work with congregations and we do do work with churches. And so I do get to come in and I do, it's maybe obnoxious, but I always introduce myself, Lauren Whitney Relaford. I'm a social worker and political director. And so I'm kind of already putting it front and center. And when I come in there and I talk to talk about it and sort of uncover people, gently uncover the biases or gently point out like, hmm. You know, you think this, but could this potentially be a different reality, which I feel like is clinical social work 101, like give it a reframe um, is probably individually how I would attack that question. You know, the the other way you do it is almost every piece that I've read that you've written for Sojo, you almost always work in someplace that you're a social worker. And that that does that does a remarkable job about a lot of the Sojo people don't have a particularly high view or know much about social work. But you're identifying that part of what motivates you or that gives you tools for what you do comes from your social work background and training. And I think that's a very powerful Mm. influence that over time gives people a different way of looking at social work and a different way that social work contributes to their mission, in this case, of sojourners. Mm. I didn't think about it. Thank you. So now I won't feel so like I'm being extra when I'm like, I am a social worker and I'm also this. Uh, oh come on Lauren you be the extra come on extra not never ever ever I'm a very subdued very shy 
individual. I don't go out a lot. I don't. This is the most I've talked in five years. No, I'm just kidding. Well, as a final question, um, what do you think keeps everyday Christians from getting involved in caring for their community and in living out what uh, Jesus taught? Uh, and then the overlap that we've talked about, what you uh, also found uh, within the Christian code of ethics or within the social work code of ethics. Uh, that, you know, how do, how do they model that? Uh, and what, what makes you think keeps them from doing that? So I would say, um, so one thing that I recently learned is that um, apparently people have this like very unique perspective on God. Let me be very diplomatic here, um, where they feel like God is angry and he hates us and he, he believes that we're sinners and that we should suffer and that um, Jesus, you know, obviously is real but he's more of an aspirational figure. And so you're born with sin and there's no point in even trying to be good because you're doomed to go to hell anyway. Um, it doesn't leave a lot of room or motivation to even do the right thing. And I feel like you got to get out of your own way and really understand God. And I feel like that, that is first, like one of the big things that I've learned is that people who tend to not, seek help when you talk to them about who God is and who Jesus are to them. They also believe in a God and Jesus that does not care if you help and does not expect you to help. And so um, I think that that's one thing that I've noticed because then I listen to you, Lloyd, and you, Rick, and the way in which you describe your faith and the way in which you describe God and the way in which you describe Jesus is a Jesus and God that care, is a Jesus and God that loves, is a Jesus and God that hurt when other people suffer and don't want other people to suffer. And that's the whole reason why God came down as man was to save us. Like, and not only that, like I bet God had the moment they bit into that apple, God was like, I'm gonna have to save these people. And here's my long game. And I feel like once you start to change your understanding of God and Jesus, you change your understanding of what you're actually being called to do. And it becomes less of a focused on how bad I am as a person and more focused on the fact that, oh, wait a minute, God created me to do wonderful things. God created me with charisms. God said that we are part of a vine. God said that I love you. Even Isaiah 42, which I have tattooed on my wrist, God says, yeah, you're going to go through some hard stuff, but guess what? I will be here for you. I love you. I created you. And so at least for me, the way that I sort of experience that is one, um, I think talking about faith more with other people and not just assuming that everyone has this very like myopic understanding of who God and Jesus are is something that maybe Christians in social work, we can facilitate those conversations. You know, um, I think another thing is just um, our own internal biases um, you know, one thing that I came into, and I'm going to be very honest with you, um, in social work school, I would listen to some people talk and I was like, you know, you have to work with black people, right? Like, <laughs> like, and you can't work with us with those attitudes. And not only that, those attitudes are very not aligned with social work, morals and values and, or the value, faith values that you espouse. And so the moment in which we stop 
caring or the moment in which folks to kind of what Lloyd said earlier, just meet people where they are, look at exactly what scripture and social work values tell you to meet people where they are and to sit with them there and to walk with them and not get attached to the outcome, but be part of getting to that outcome. Um, I think that's going to get a lot of folks to realize that no suffering is not what God wants for us. And once you start to understand that, then you start to look at the suffering around you and realize, and you start to be filled with that spirit that God is like, just will not allow suffering to happen. Um, And so at least for me, that's what I've seen is like, you have to change your thinking. And I think it's, that starts with your mentality and it starts with the way in which you understand yourself and understand self in relation to others and understand that your life again, isn't about suffering. Your life is to hopefully be able to access all of the blessings that God pours into you and realize that God is always going to give you more than you can handle or more than you should have. And so don't be like the Dead Sea, be like the Jordan River. Flow out, don't keep it in. And that's a lesson that I actually learned while I was in Israel, Palestine, given by an amazing, amazing person that was on the trip where he talked about like, a lot of folks are just the Dead Sea and they keep and they keep and they keep and they don't realize that there's so much joy and there's so much satisfaction in knowing that you have helped make things better for someone else or you have helped someone not go through the same things that you went through. And so the extent to which we as social workers, Christian social workers can have those conversations and be very honest and not be attacking or defensive, but be like, you know what, let me introduce you to this God that I know, this God that I was taught, because this God says X, Y, Z, and this God wants me to do X, Y, Z. And not only that, it's all in the scripture. Um, And so I guess that's how I would answer that question. Um, But I'm really excited to hear what Rick and um, Lloyd say, because I feel like they're going to finesse and refine a lot of what I'm trying to say a lot better. I'm a very right brain person. So sometimes I have problems extroverting my right brain to my left brain. So I appreciate being here with you both because you are extroverting a lot of my left brain. Well, I loved what you had to say, love. So I, I can't think of any refinement that I would add. Um, I, I would say when I hear that question, what keeps everyday Christians from getting involved and in caring for their community? What I'm As I'm getting older, what I need to hear is what's keeping me from getting involved in caring for the community. I think many of us are pretty good at critiquing and analyzing the behavior of other folks. And although social work believes in knowing thyself, we need lots of work to do that. So um, so I want to focus, you know, the couple things I'll say, and what's keeping me from doing that in a more robust, full-orbed way? Um, and one of them is practical. Uh, it's, you know, sort of a riff on the Mary and Martha passage. I get completely caught up in the and distracted by the details of everyday life. If it's running an organization or whatever it would be, I can get up early and work until it's late, not take a breath, and by the end kind of forget why am I in this? And you know, am I just looking to meet certain outcomes and getting certain things done? Am I forgetting that in all of this I'm looking to know God and I'm looking to serve God? And that keeps me from, I think, making real impact sometimes in the communities that I'm called to serve. 
because I get distracted and that distraction keeps me from doing some of what would really make a difference and move the needle in the lives of the people who need it most. Um, so that's a, a practical level. The other's more personal and it's, you know, it's unique to me, um, but not just me. Uh, I think a good many of us enjoy and get caught up on the privilege of our lives. Um, privilege that kind of takes on a life of its own. And you, sometimes you hear people say, oh, that's a first world problem. Um, because, I mean, why they say that is because it's for people who don't have a whole lot to be worried and concerned about, that they get worried and concerned about things that are relatively mundane. Um, and I think for, for many of us who live very privileged lives, we get caught up in that life in and of itself. And we're not able to climb out of that and recognize, you know, where our true call is. And that's a personal critique of myself. That privilege is enjoyable, even though at an abstract level, I'm, you know, want that to be different and I want that to change, but it is in my blood. And that's a real, um, that's a real cause for me keeping my focus off of the most important things of, of caring for my community. Um, so I guess this is more personal in, in terms of, you know, the distraction. I'm susceptible to distraction, a little bit on the obsessive compulsive side. So I'm extra attracted by the distraction of getting things done, you know, just right and on time, um, but also not being able to shed some of the privilege that I've enjoyed that gets in the way of what, uh, and that's also related to the Mary and Martha passage, you know, the better thing, and the better thing in this case is serving the call to be there for those most affected in our community. So I suspect it's not just me um, who finds that these are things that keep me from getting involved in the community, but it certainly is me and others like me. And we have to hold each other accountable to say that's not true to the call. Um, and we need to, again, recognize that each other keeping ourselves accountable releases some new energy. And that's where I think you know, Christians and social workers believe in community, believe in mutual accountability, believe in holding each other responsible and motivating each other to, to attend to what's really important. And I count on my Christian colleagues and my social work colleagues to call me out and to inspire and encourage me to, um, to the, the deeper call that I think that God puts on our lives. I, I, I really love what both of you had to say. And Rick, it's really not just you, for sure. And I, I think it really does start with a hard look at ourselves and and kind of what kind of priorities we've set for ourselves. And what we say and, and what we do are sometimes two different things. We have to constantly evaluate our actions and say, when did I really live the way that I say I want to live? Did I really love the Lord the way I say I love the Lord? Do I really love, did I really love my neighbor the way I say I love my neighbor? And I think it's a constant, it's a constant review of self. It's a constant reflection of your actual actions and how they played out in real life. The, the factor that makes this so difficult, though, is that I believe there's powers, maybe even principalities, that, that are seeking to distract us and divide us right now. It, it doesn't take long watching any kind of media or television or movie to see that we're constantly being jabbed at 
and challenged and and our social media is trying to pull emotional reactions out of us to take advantage of our vulnerabilities this manipulation is not hidden any longer it's blatant we have to teach ourselves and our children do not just accept whatever is coming through the electronic waves mm -hmm. as what you should do shut it off evaluate it measure it against scripture don't believe everything you're being told because people don't always have your best interests or God's commands in mind in how they manipulate you because maybe their motive is money, surprisingly. Or maybe it's to divide you and distract you from seeing what's really happening. And I, I see so many instances where we can just fall into the distractions and the manipulations. We don't even have time to look at self because we're constantly looking at a screen outside of ourselves. And so I think Christians and all human beings have to shut everything off and start to think, what's really the priority for my life? What actually matters in my life and then let me make decisions to live consistently with what I believe my convictions actually are. And then constantly check myself for drift. And if the commands of God are to put others ahead of myself, if the commands of God are to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength above everything, then do my actions actually reflect that? Or, act, or am I following a world system that's actually intentionally gaslighting me mm. and distracting me from what I need to be doing? And I think we have to have a wake-up call because ourselves, our own families, and our very neighbors are desperate and brokenhearted. And we don't even have a time to look away from our screen to show compassion and empathy to them because mm. we're busy being manipulated. Mm -hmm. And so I hope and pray that the spirit of God might transform us beyond technology to have us see the truth and to live out the truth in the way God's commanded it to be lived out so that we can see the transformation of the world that God has promised. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amen. 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 Well, I am deeply thankful uh, for the insights that you have shared with us, given to us, for the understanding uh, that you have provided. Uh, so thank you for that very much. Uh, thank you also for the vitally important work that each of you are doing. Uh, and may God's blessings be on each of you uh, in what you do. And yes, you David. as well. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your work. Thank you so much. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Raber. The intro and outro music for this episode 
is from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come, which is found on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and is used by permission from the Porter's Gate Worship Project. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace.